This is Financial Standard, the definitive source of news, thought leadership and analysis for Australian wealth management professionals. Financial Standard. Take the lead. I'm Cassandra Baldini and this is a Financial Standard podcast. According to a global report issued by Kroll, financial crime threats are steadily increasing, with most companies anticipating a jump over the next 12 months. As a result, the government and regulators are stepping in and urging institutions to be well prepared. With me today to discuss the risks and threats ahead is Ernest & Young Asia-Pacific Financial Services Cybersecurity Leader, Rohit Rao. Rohit, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Cassandra. CyberCX said the financial services sector has been the industry most impacted by cyber extortion. Can you give us a bit of an overview of which institutions are most vulnerable within the industry and why? Sure. Look, as a headline, uh, the war, major breaches and sort of increased regulatory supervision have defined the cyber threat landscape. And especially in the financial services sector, cybersecurity is currently the number one non-financial risk that the organizations are facing. And I think it'll remain number one for quite some time. But if you look closer in the financial services sector, the banking has been an area of focus for a long time, and they've been working on improving their cybersecurity for many years. It's not easy given the size and complexity of these banks, but they are in a far better state um, than the insurance sector and the super sector. The insurance sector is not far behind, uh, depending on how big or small they are. But the super sector, super industry sector is probably the most lagging. And there are many factors that play a part in this. You know, if you really look at the super industry, it is, uh, frankly, a lucrative target due to the sheer size of the funds it manages. You know, if you think about the systems and the process that are outsourced to IT service providers, the backend administrators, even mail houses, there probably been an assumption that cyber is the service provider's responsibility. And, uh, you know, it frankly doesn't stop at the third party. It extends to the fourth party as well, which complicates, I guess, the governance and the management of controls. And uh, it's it's well probably understood that the super funds also hold a lot of sensitive member data, which can be used to exploit other systems and organizations. And from an industry perspective, also there is a lot of consolidation happening uh, in, in the super industry. And usually the focus is to make the mergers and acquisitions work from a operational and technology perspective. So in that process, uh, it is and it has been uh, too easy to dilute the cyber or security controls. So uh, in, in a sense, I think um, cyber is uh, in the past seen as a compliance stick. Uh, but now with the increasing threat landscape, I think there's been a bit of focus um, from the board and the management around, OK, we have to really take this seriously and, uh, you know, really um, spend the time, budget and the resourcing to get on top of it. Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that the super industry is the most vulnerable because earlier in the year, NGS super members had their private data compromised in an, in an attack on the fund systems. And then, of course, um, hundreds of thousands of pension fund members had their personal information accessed in a cybersecurity breach in the U.S., can you talk us through the impact of such breaches for both members and funds? 
what are these cybersecurity criminals likely to do or what can they do with that information? Sure. Well, look, up front, uh, I, I can't talk about specific instances, but as a broad uh, perspective, what we are seeing to date is data has been seen as the new oil with only the upside. So wow. institutions' default position has been to retain data, uh, sensitive and otherwise, rather than sort of delete it. Um, and with the intention of extracting value from the data and probably without modern privacy laws to force them to think otherwise, institutions have sort of erred on the side of collecting more data than, than is required. So the paradigm, given some of the breaches, has is definitely changing. And it's being challenged. So uh, the question being asked is, is, is data considered a liability, right? So uh, in terms of just the impact uh, around the members and the funds, I think there's enormous impact. And if you really look at the, from a member's perspective, there are fundamentally, I guess, three factors or three impacts. You know, one is obviously the amplified risk. You know, if you look at the sensitive information uh, example of identity documents like driver's license and passports are compromised, it can lead to, you know, identity thefts, uh, which can manifest in different ways, like financial loss, takeover of the account, and, you know, in terms of just, in some cases, actually, you know, having a lead-on effect into the, you know, sort of compromising some of the bank, bank accounts. So that, that's that's enormous sort of increased risk that the members are facing. But apart from that, there is an adverse impact on the experience itself. If you look at some of the compromised accounts, the organizations rightly so put additional controls in place and probably some of some, in some cases lock the accounts. So there is an additional uh, effort from members' perspective to really call and unlock the accounts, and that really impacts the member's experience. And lastly, I guess it's the inconvenience. And you would have seen some of the high-profile breaches where the identity documents were compromised. So there is definitely an effort to really go ahead and change the passports or the driver's license. And, and from a fund's perspective, um, there are fundamentally two, two major impacts. One is obviously the reputational damage and the loss of member trust. And this could lead to members leaving, opting for other funds. And there's also obviously a penalty from the regulators. But there's also the other impact of, you know, really spending the time, effort and resource in uplifting their processes to ensure the, the some of the fraudulent activities do not happen again. Um, so essentially, it is quite a big impact from our members and, um, and the funds perspective, Sandra. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gosh, considering data is a new oil, what should super funds be doing to strengthen their security? I mean, what are best practices? Just in terms of um, cybersecurity, I think fundamentally how we lean into it, I think is very important. If it is seen just as a compliance stick, probably that doesn't really do the trick. So the first um, first aspect is to really look at from a perspective of how does uh, security help in growing uh, the customer and members trust, and thus enabling uh, your business and digital strategy. I think that's the mindset, I guess, the first, first capital rank. The second, of course, is understanding your threat landscape. So from the outside, you may say that, you know, the organizations are the same, and even though they seem to be very similar, but no two organizations are the same. So they have slightly different threats and landscape and ecosystem. 
So uh, one of the surveys that we did was um, recently, th- there's a clear indication that in today's ecosystem, it creates too many attack surfaces and supply chain risk. Historically, the concern was we don't have enough budget to address cyber. But in this year, uh, it's been replaced by the expanding attack surface. As, as many organizations embark on the cloud, the digital transformation, and the connected ecosystem. So understanding the threat surface, understanding the exposures, uh, either direct or via the third or fourth party, um, is, is very important. And this has been highlighted by APRA in their initial findings very recently. And, and the other couple of things is humans continue to be the weakest link. And if you if you think about the major breaches that have occurred, you, it's usually the humans who click on a link or that does not adhere to the policy that leads to the breach. So educating your staff and your members is very important. And, and lastly is, you know, it's very important to get the board and the executive buy-in. So the top-down approach and setting the tone from the top is very, very important to have a sustainable security uh, and pragmatic plan. Well, just going off what you said, the Australian government and regulators have been very clear on their initiatives to improve cybersecurity and combat that growing problem. APRA specifically is targeting areas of non-compliance via CPS 234 and by year end expects to have assessed more than 300 banks, insurers and super trustees. Its initial findings exposed quite a few gaps. Do you think these initiatives will hold institutions to a higher standard? And why do you think such gaps exist? I mean, is it simply that we're not able to keep up with the increasingly sophisticated threats? These initiatives from the regulators definitely help to drive the focus on cybersecurity, you know, which is obviously a huge area of concern. And initiatives like CPS 234, et cetera, are helping to drive that point that Cyber is the organization responsibility. The board is ultimately accountable for it. And you talked about some of the initial findings. And frankly, this is not a surprise. You know, you talk about, you know, incomplete identification and classification of sensitive assets. You know, do you know where your sensitive assets are and data is? Um, there is that whole ecosystem around the third party and the fourth party. Do you understand the connectivity and the uh, uh, capability of the third party security? There is obviously some comments around the incident response, you know, how well you're testing that and how well you're reviewing it, but also the execution of the control testing and the reporting to APRA. So there's a few findings. um, And if you really think about some of the breaches that have happened, organizations are still falling victim to basic attacks. Largely, I think it's because of these thematic gaps. So definitely there is a phase of uh, fundamental uplift and maturity of the cyber posture within organizations and getting support of management and board is is quite important. Yeah, wow. Okay. It's, it's, it is interesting that so many gaps have been unearthed um, by APRA. I guess turning to ASIC, it laid out a plan to make Australia the world's most safe cybersecurity nation by 2030. Do you think this is a realistic goal, considering Australia is such a target for cyber criminals? Well, it is, frankly, great to see our regulators taking the lead and driving these initiatives. But it does also come down to how much does the organization and the industry see it as an opportunity to uplift their cyber maturity and be prepared for the increased attacks. 
you know, if I again reflect on our EY survey uh, that we did, we are finding that cybersecurity risks are evolving with the advent of, you know, obviously the AI and the chat GPT and also the cloud at scale. We are finding that, you know, a lesser percentage, you know, nearly 40% say that they are very well positioned to take on the cyber threats of tomorrow. If you flip it the other way, there are a majority of the organizations think that they are not ready to, you know, face into the cyber threats of tomorrow. And we are also finding that the attacks are really hard to detect. And over half the organizations admit that, you know, it takes about six months to detect the attack. And lastly, you know, with the, again, the regulations around CPS 230, the concept and importance of cyber resilience is amplified due to the regulations. So I guess, um, I think it's a fantastic initiative of regulators taking the lead, but how we maintain the security posture, how we maintain the relevant controls would be a really important factor. And it should not be seen as a one-time exercise, but a continuous effort to maintain uh, and, and protect the maturity of the cyber landscape. There does seem to be a while to go before we can be completely assured, but I really appreciate you joining us today and sharing those insights. Thanks, Cassandra, for having me. Thanks for listening to this Financial Standard podcast. For more information, visit financialstandard.com.au. Please keep in mind that the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature and does not consider personal circumstances. Reliance should not be placed on any content without further independent financial research and advice. 